So um, I'll encourage you to grab a Bible. Um, thank you, worship team. That was great to just sing and uh, spend time focusing our hearts and our minds. And so now we want to continue to do that. So we'll, we'll be in uh, a couple different texts this morning. Usually if um, you're new to the church, usually our, our what we usually do is just kind of go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. But um, we're doing a two-week little mini-series about our vision, and so just get ready to flip because we're going to be in a few different spots. But um, like I, I said last week, usually every fall, we take a couple of weeks and talk about why we exist as a church. Um, what is our vision? And I think it's really important that we do this often because, like I, I mentioned last week, um, when things are going well uh, and you have money in the bank and you have staff and you have people showing up, it can just be really easy, not even just as individuals, but as churches to just kind of put it into neutral and coast for a while and even kind of veer off on the mission and vision that, that Jesus has called us to. So last week, we, we went over what our mission and vision as a church is. We exist to glorify God, to make disciples, and to multiply. Um, we want to, I mean, it's on the wall. We want to do those three things. Everything we do, bring glory to Jesus. Everything we do, make more disciples. And then multiply the gospel through church services, church planting, sending missionaries. We want to constantly be multiplying and sending people out. And then we ended last week by spending time on well, what is our motivation for this? Because it's really easy when you talk about vision to then use guilt as a motivator where we go, well, you know, we have all these things we want to do and none of you are serving, so shame on you. And we all leave going, oh man, I feel so guilty. And so we talked about that guilt is just a terrible motivator because it doesn't actually produce lasting change. The only thing that can motivate us is the love of Christ. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians. The love of Christ controls us. So this morning, I, I want to spend a little bit of time diving a little bit deeper into what does it actually mean to be a disciple of Jesus, right? Our mission as a church is we want to make disciples, so it would probably be a good thing to identify and, and maybe give a definition for, well, what exactly is a disciple? What does that mean? If we want to make disciples, what are disciples? And then, how do you and I best grow as disciples of Jesus, so three things that make up a disciple of Jesus, and they all start with P. It's just like, mwah, Sermon 101, right? <laughs> but three things, if we, were, if we would define what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who professes faith, someone who practices faith, and someone who perseveres in the faith. So a disciple, if you wanted to give a definition, what is a disciple? A, a disciple is someone who professes faith, practices that faith, and then perseveres in the faith. And so what we want to do is just unpack each part of that and then, and then end with where does this best happen, right? Where does, it, where does it work the best to grow as a disciple of Jesus? Um, really simply, if you would look into the Bible, um, anytime the word disciple is used, it's the Greek word mathetes, which means really, I mean, the definition of that word disciple means a learner or a follower. And, and really, the, the image that it brings up is the idea of apprenticeship. So if you, um, 
are a plumber or a carpenter or lots of different kind of trade jobs, oftentimes you will have to go and you'll apprentice with someone, meaning you don't know anything about carpentry. Maybe you've taken some, you know, schooling for it, but then you go and you basically shadow someone and you apprentice with them. And then they show you, here's how you uh, put together a wall and here's how you find studs and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. With any kind of trade thing, usually you apprentice with someone for two or three years. And essentially, you're a disciple of that person for the purposes of carpentry or plumbing or being an electrician. Um, You are apprenticing, you're learning, you're following them so that you grow in your knowledge and your skill, and then you can begin to do these things as well. That's what discipleship is about in the Bible. A disciple is someone who is an apprentice. You follow Jesus, and you're learning from him, and then you're actually doing the the work. You're making disciples, and you're learning what that actually looks like. So the first point, a disciple is someone who professes faith in Jesus. You have to profess faith to be a disciple, and, and that means you have to believe and profess certain things, right? Paul in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 He says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, so if you profess that Jesus is Lord, and then you believe in your heart that God actually raised him from the dead, he says, that's salvation. You will be saved if you profess those Things. So there's certain things that as if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to profess those things. Right? Paul even, he says, you have to profess that Jesus is Lord, that he's God, that he's in control, that he's the leader, that he is preeminent. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, he, he summarizes the gospel. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. So if you want to be a follower of Jesus... You have to profess those things. I believe that, that Christ died for my sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. He is Lord. I am professing that. Now, in years past as churches or as denominations or, or whatever you want to call it, we, we emphasized and I think we overemphasized checking off the box on every single theological issue in order to be a Christian. We made the the profession of faith 45 pages long, and you have to check off every single box. You've probably heard this story before, but there was a man on a bridge, and he, he was standing by the edge of the bridge, and it looked like he was about to jump. And so a man walking by saw this man, and he ran over, and he's like, whoa, 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 don't jump. You know, there's, there's, there's got to be something to live for. Do you believe in God? And the guy said, yes. And he said, oh, Okay, me too. Are you a, a Jew or are you a Christian? And the man said, I'm a Christian. And the guy, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? And the guy said, I'm Protestant. Me too. Uh, what denomination are you? And the man on the edge of the bridge says, I'm Baptist. Me too. Now, are you Northern Baptist or are you Southern Baptist? Oh, I'm Northern Baptist. No way. Me too. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist? Or are you Northern Liberal Baptist? And the man said, I'm, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist. Me too. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist of the Great Lakes region? Or are you Northern Conservative Baptist of the Eastern region? Well, 
I'm of the, the Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. No way, me too. Are you the Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or the Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lake Region's Council of 1912? And the man on the edge of the bridge says, uh, the Council of 1912. And I said, die, heretic, and kicked him off the bridge. <laughs> Nothing like a death joke. Um, but you get my point. Like in years past, literally, that's what we did. I was listening to a podcast even recently and the man was saying that he was at a county fair and he met some other Christians who were handing out Bible tracts and they were Baptist. And he said, oh, I'm a Christian too. And they asked him what denomination and I don't remember which one, but it wasn't Baptist. And they said, oh, you should probably take this tract. It was like, you know, well, you're not a Baptist. Like, so in years past, we overemphasized, you must believe everything I believe theologically or else I don't even know if you're a Christian Right? That's not what Paul's saying when he says you have to profess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Well, are you premillennial or postmillennial? It's like that's not, that doesn't actually matter in, in terms of our salvation. Now, what's happened though recently, like in the past, we overemphasized secondary things to what it means to actually profess faith in Jesus. But in our day and age, I believe we actually have the opposite problem where we have swung the doors so wide open that it actually doesn't matter what you profess at all, right? Uh, a few years ago, we went to a store called Build-A-Bear with our kids. Um, how many have been to a Build-A-Bear store? Yeah, so you go in and basically you can create your own little abomination of a bear and it's like, I'm gonna put this in and that in and then put that outfit on and I'm going to shove this in and then you, you can create kind of whatever little bear that you want and then you get to name it at the end and sometimes they put a little heart in it. Oh, it's so beautiful. That's essentially what we've done with Christianity. Just kind of build whatever Jesus that you want and oh, would you like Jesus' sexual ethic? No, I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to leave that out. Do you want this part? And, and we've just basically built our own versions of Jesus, because we've said, well, it doesn't really matter what you profess as long as you just love Jesus. I, I listened to an Easter sermon years ago from, the, from the, the States, and it was a denomination, and the whole message was it doesn't really matter if Jesus rose bodily from the grave, because it, he accomplished spiritual things for us. So if he just rose spiritually from the grave, that's all that matters. Not according to Paul. Paul says Christ died, and he was raised from the dead. That is part of our profession of faith. If you don't believe that, then you're not a Christian, right? You have to profess certain things to be a disciple of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and the fact that he's Lord. Um, even, and we've talked about this before, but in Jude 3, it says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to you to write about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, right? There is a faith that we contend for that was, that was given to us once and for all. And in order to be a disciple of Jesus, you must profess faith in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection. Secondly, being a disciple doesn't just stop at your profession. The Bible is, is really clear that a profession of faith Right, what you say necessarily leads to you practicing that faith. It, it actually impacts your, 
your daily life, in, the ins and outs of your life, the things that you do. Um, really, the clearest example is in James chapter 2. He, he says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. So James, he's not saying, we've got to be really clear, James is not saying that your works, the things that you do, that is what saves you, right? If I can just give enough and serve enough, and if I can just follow the rules enough, then I'm, I'm earning my salvation. I'm proving that, that, you know, God, now you can save me. But James is saying, if someone walks around and says, hey, I'm a Christian, I have faith in Jesus, but you look at their life and nothing in their life backs up what they say, you have reason to doubt, to go, are you actually a Christian? Your faith isn't producing works. I love that James even says, what good is it if someone says he has faith, but there's nothing in his life that backs up what he, what he says? And the example he gives is great. I just, it's just so, it's slightly sarcastic and it's just so great. He says, if someone who, a brother or sister, so a fellow believer comes to you and has no clothes and no food and they came to your door and they said, I have nowhere to sleep, I have no clothing, I have no food. And you said, oh, brother, I am praying for you. And close the door. It's like, really? <laughs> to say like, I hope you find some clothes and I hope you find some food. I'm going to go back inside. <laughs> like James is saying, what good is that? Give them clothing. Give them food. Take care of them. The faith that you profess should be evident in the things that you do as you practice that faith. He even says, you believe that God is one, and you realize that that statement means like you, you have an orthodox belief. He's, he's referencing Deuteronomy 6. When it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and, and your strength. So he's, what he's basically saying is, you are an, an, your faith, the profession of your faith is orthodox. I believe that God is one. And he says, great, even the demons believe that. Meaning, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus and your faith isn't practiced, it doesn't affect your life, it doesn't affect what you do, you have the same level of faith as the demons do. You can hold to orthodox belief all you want, and if it doesn't transform the way that you live, you're not a disciple of Jesus. I mean, this is what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. As we follow Jesus, we look at our lives, and do you see in ever-increasing growth, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you see growth in those areas? Do you go, okay, as I've been following Jesus, I am growing in my patience. I'm growing in my love for people. And so as you grow in these areas, right, it, the, 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 it reveals the roots in your life. Right? The fruits that you see in your life, it reveals 
the roots in your life, your faith in Jesus, the profession of your faith. If your roots are deep into your profession of faith, it should lead to fruit in your life as you practice your faith. A disciple of Jesus is someone who practice, practices their faith. They live it out. And then lastly, a disciple is someone who perseveres. Because can you profess certain things and not practice them? Yes, totally. You can, you can profess whatever you want. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I, I say, Jesus is Lord. But if you're not practicing it and you're not living it out, and you can do the opposite. Can you practice good works and not profess faith in Jesus? Yeah, totally. So a disciple then, lastly, is someone who continues to persevere in these things. They persevere in their profession of faith. They don't swerve from it. They persevere in their good works until the end. The the Bible actually talks a lot about this. The Bible over and over and over again, it's like gives this call to disciples. Keep going. Persevere till the end. Be faithful. Make it until the end. Um, Colossians 1 is an example of this. Paul says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, right? We're saved, the gospel, it sounds great. And then he says, if, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Do you see what Paul's, Paul's doing? Paul's saying, look at all of this. God reconciled you. You've been presented holy and blameless if you persevere. Meaning, he's not saying, now you got to work hard and keep your faith and you're always on edge and you're going, ah, I lost my salvation because and, and, I wasn't working hard enough. That's not what he's saying. He's saying someone who these words are true, you're reconciled, you're holy and blameless, you will persevere to the end. You will make it, right? You got to continue in the faith. So people, right, it's the parable of the four soils. Jesus says they're people that hear the gospel and immediately they spring up and they go, yes, I believe, and then it dies, right? They didn't persevere in the faith. The cares of the world choked out the gospel and they, they didn't make it. Every letter to the church in the book of Revelation calls Christians to persevere, be faithful, conquer, hold fast, remember what you received, keep it till the end. It's that image of keep persevering, right? You made a profession of faith, keep persevering in that. Don't change your mind about what you believe, about your your profession of faith in Jesus. Keep persevering in the works that you're doing that is an evidence of your profession of faith. Even in um, Hebrews 10 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope right? You've made a profession of faith. Now hold fast to it without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Like hold fast your confession. Cling to it. Don't waver. Persevere to the end. And we're going to get into a moment. That's why we need each other. We need other believers that can help us persevere till the end. So a disciple of Jesus professes faith 
right? They believe certain things about Jesus. They, they practice their faith, and then they, they persevere. They don't waver back and forth and back and forth. They don't say one day, yes, I believe Jesus is Lord, and then the next day they go, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. That person is not a disciple of Jesus, right? Disciples persevere till the end. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to have moments where you're in the valley and you sin and you, you go through seasons of, of doubt, but what, what the Bible's talking about is people that are so tossed back and forth and back and forth. It's like every other day, yes, I'm all for Jesus. Eh, I actually don't want to follow Jesus anymore. Well, now I love Jesus. Well, I actually don't love him anymore. That person is not persevering. They're showing that they're not actually a disciple, Um, Even in Hebrews, the writer goes on in verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurred the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Right? The writer of Hebrews is saying, if you say, yes, I'm a Christian, and then you continue to sin deliberately. Now, we have to be clear. He's not saying that someone who says, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, and then you sin, and there is remorse and regret, and you repent, and you confess, and you turn back to Jesus. We all sin, but when you sin deliberately, it's when you go, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I know what Jesus says about sexuality, and I don't care. The writer of Hebrews says, there's no longer any sacrifice for you. I mean, he gives the example of Moses. He says, back in, back in the old covenant, if someone did that with the law of Moses, they were killed, right? If Moses came down and said, okay, here are the rules, and someone said, yeah, I hear the rules, and I don't care. I'm doing the opposite of what you say, Moses, through the law. What happened? They were killed. And then the writer of Hebrews says, how much worse is it when we do that with the blood of Jesus, right? When we don't persevere, through our brokenness, and we go, you know what? I actually don't care what God calls me to. I think the Bible would say, well, then you're actually not a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus, when they sin, they repent and confess it and turn back to Jesus. So the fact that a disciple perseveres, it doesn't mean perfection. Don't hear that. That you go, great, now if I sin, I'm not a disciple. That's, that's not what we're saying, but it's, it's a perseverance in one, the profession of faith that you made. I'm not going to sway from this, right? Jesus lived and he died and he was raised from the dead. And then when someone says, well, was he actually raised from the dead? No, you persevere in your profession of faith. You go, no, that is what is true. I am clinging to that. And then you persevere in the practice of your faith. You go, I, I know what the truth is. I'm not going to sin deliberately. I'm not going to go, yeah, I know what Jesus says. I don't care. I'm going to go do whatever I want. No, no, no. You, you persevere in it. When you sin, you confess and repent, and then you begin to practice the fruits of the Spirit, and your life bears fruit. So this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You profess faith in him, you practice that faith, and then you persevere in that faith. 
So here's, here's the last point. Um, this must be done in community. Um, when I lived in Maple Ridge before I was married, um, there was a few young adult guys at the church, um, Tim and Nate, and um, they wanted to start running in the early mornings. Now, you can probably tell by my physique that I'm, I'm very good at physical activity, you know. But I was like, okay, I'll run. And here's, here's why I could get out of bed, and even when it was dark, or maybe when it was raining, I would go and run with these guys, because I had those two guys who kept me accountable. That they said, Andrew, get out of bed. We're going to go run this morning. And I knew, okay, well, they're going to hound me if I don't just go and do it, right? There's something about having people, right? And many of you do that, right? You go to the gym or you go and you run or you do whatever. And it's so much easier to do those things when you do them with other people, right? Because if it's just me getting up to go to the gym, I'm like, well, it looks like it might sprinkle. I don't go to the gym in the rain. And you're like, but the gym's inside. That's my policy. I don't go when it's raining, right? We just make up stuff. But when I know I'm going to meet someone there and we're actually going to work out together and we're going to keep each other accountable, you are far more likely to follow through with it, right? I even, I see, I see commercials for Peloton all the time, right? And what is the, the draw of Peloton? You buy a stationary bike, but it has a TV on it. And it has a guy who goes, you can do it. You're great. Push through. Like, that's why we buy it for $5,000 or whatever it is. Because we have someone who is keeping me accountable. Even though it's not a real person. It's a TV screen. But they go, come on, push through. You can do it. Right? And they spur you on. And you go, yes, I can do it. Because the guy on the TV said, I can do it. Right? That's our Christian walk. You need people to spur you on. You just do. Right? To remind you, don't give up. Right? Remember what you professed. Practice your faith with other people. To persevere together, you cannot do it on your own. I mean, we just read the Hebrews passage, you stir up one another to love and good works. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort, encourage one another every single day. Why? So that you won't be tricked and your heart won't be hardened by how deceitful sin is. Following Jesus is, is meant to be done in community. And in our North American culture, we live in this very individualistic society where it's like, I can do it on my own. I don't need anyone. I can figure it out. Listen, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you can't do it on your own. It's impossible. And I know that we can argue, well, it's just my personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, fine, but it won't last if it's just you trying to do it on your own. You need other people. So here's what this means. Our Sunday gatherings are so crucial, but you cannot be discipled for one hour a week on Sunday. It's impossible. If your whole Christian life is Sunday morning, you won't make it. Because you, can't, you cannot be discipled one hour a week when we gather 
together. When we gather together on, on, on Sundays, it's to worship Jesus. It's to be reminded, here is the gospel that saves us. We come from a week of battle, and it's like we all come in, and, and the goal is that we would worship Jesus, remind ourselves what we believe. We're strengthened. We're encouraged. We're convicted. And then we go out to persevere for another week. So you need brothers and sisters throughout that week in your life that will persevere with you. That will practice the faith together with you. That will, you'll remind one another, this is our profession. This is what we believe. So we have lots of ways for, for this to happen at uh, North Peace. And as we talk about vision, uh, we, we want to give as many possible ways for you as disciples of Jesus to be around other disciples of Jesus throughout the week so that you can encourage one another to persevere, that you can remind each other what your profession of faith is, that you can practice that faith together. Um, we talk about life groups. Life, life groups are meant to be exactly this, right? That's the goal, that you would meet midweek uh, with other disciples of Jesus, and different life groups look different, but sometimes, yes, we're going to meet and we're going to study God's word together. We're going to meet and we're going to eat together. We're going to meet and we're going to pray together. We're going to meet and we actually might serve together as a life group. What are ways that we can practice the faith together? And some life groups, they, they emphasize one aspect. There's like, for our life group, we went through a season where we had like 800 kids in our life group. And it was like, uh, are, are we going to sit down and have a two-hour in-depth Bible study when there's just like poopy diapers everywhere and kids screaming? There were some nights when it was like, all right, let's go. We're going to do it. And then uh, uh, someone's kid threw a toy at another kid's head and there was blood and then there was fighting. It was like, all right, I guess life group is over for tonight, right? And so we emphasize different things. For a while, our life group, for about a year, it was like, we're going to eat together every week, we're going to check in with each other, and we're going to pray for each other. That's the season that we're in. I mean, we just don't have the, the bandwidth with our kids to sit down for an in-depth Bible study. And now our kids are a little bit older, and we're like, okay, I think now we actually have a, a, a bigger window where we can, we can study something together. Some life groups, maybe we got to meet in the mornings on Saturday mornings because just evenings are, are not going to work. But there's so many ways that you go, I can meet with another group of, or, or, or other believers to spur one another on, to, to not give up. I mean, we have so many Bible studies that you can connect into, and, and the reason I'm telling you things is... We have some signups in the lobby afterwards. We have a Bible study for men, a resolution for men that's beginning. We have ladies' Bible studies that are starting. And starting October 4th, we have a theology class every Tuesday night from 7 till 8.30 here at the church where you can come and be reminded of what our profession of faith is and be around other believers and you can get info for that. We've got breakout, we've got junior youth, we've got senior youth, we have young adults, we have a 55 plus group starting all of these ways that you can connect in with other people. And maybe with your schedule, it's just, I'm going to meet with two other people once a week for breakfast, and that's going to be our thing. Awesome. Right? As a church grows bigger, right? As our Sunday mornings grow bigger and bigger, instinctively the church has to grow smaller because we cannot accomplish everything to do with discipleship in one hour on a Sunday morning. It's impossible. So you must be meeting with other disciples where you go, I'm going to spur you on this week. Don't give up. So a few things as we close. 
to, to honestly ask yourself, okay, am I a disciple of Jesus? Have I professed faith in him? Right, like Paul says in Romans, have I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe that God raised him from the dead? Have I, have I, have I professed faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? And then to secondly ask, when I look at my life, do I practice that faith? Is it just lip service? Is my life marked by good works and by fruit? When I look at my life, do I see like the visible changes in my life where I go, yes, I am more loving, more patient, more kind. I can see fruit in my life that is evidence of my profession of faith. And then are you someone who is who is persevering? Do you sway back and forth or, or through the years that you follow Jesus, have you continued to hold fast, right? Through valleys, through sin, are you still, no, I'm not going to swerve. I'm going to hold fast to what I believe. And then do you have brothers and sisters that are around you, right? Or are you trying to be a lone wolf Christian because it doesn't work? Do you have brothers and sisters around you that can spur you on, that can hold you accountable, that can encourage you, that, can, that, that, that you are mutually discipling one another, that you go, yes, we can make it, we can persevere to the end. So I want to pray for you, and then I would just encourage you, um, in, in the lobby, there's lots of different tables, there's lots of ways that if you don't have a, a group of believers that, uh, that are around you. There's so many ways that you can sign up for one, or maybe you do have one, and that's, praise God. But to, to seriously ask, this year, who am I going to surround myself with so that we can spur one another on as we profess the faith and practice the faith and persevere in our faith? So, Father, I just thank you for your word. Um, I just thank you for how encouraging and convicting it is, um, God, as we think um, about what it means to be a disciple of you. Um, I think sometimes we just, we have maybe some, some slightly off ideas. Well, well, all it means is that I just have to say a prayer and then I'm in. Or all it means is that I just have to do certain things and then I'm, I'm in. When really, a disciple of you is this well-rounded person, someone who, yes, professes with their mouth and believes certain truths about you, Jesus, that you are Lord, that you are the Son of God, that you uh, uh, came and you lived and you died and you were raised from the dead for our sins. We profess those things about you, Jesus. And then naturally, the things that we profess should change the way that we live that we would be people who practice our faith, that we would grow in our love and our good works and in the fruit of the Spirit, that we would be able to look at our lives and go, yes, there is evidence of what I believe. And that lastly, God, that we would be disciples who persevere, that we wouldn't be swayed to and fro and back and forth, that, that we wouldn't know what the truth is and go on sinning deliberately against it, that we, that we wouldn't be swayed by every wind and wave of, of new and different doctrine, that we would persevere in our profession of faith and that we would persevere in our practice of the faith. And so, God, I love that you designed us to do this together in community. 
Um, there's no such thing as a lone wolf Christian, someone who says, yeah, I don't need anybody else. I can do it on my own. That's just not true. We need one another to do this. And so, God, I just pray that even this year, that um, whatever way it looks like, maybe it's joining a life group or a Bible study, maybe it's just meeting once a week with two other believers, whatever it is, God, that we would commit, I'm going to do life with other brother, sis- brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can spur one another on, that we can persevere together. So God, help us to do that this year. Um, As a church, as we seek to make disciples, I pray um, that we would be able to equip everyone here to to meet together in groups, um, to profess our faith, to practice our faith, and to persevere in it. And so we just do all of this for your glory, Jesus, and we pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen.